Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Kieran. Hey, Eve. So, you you ready to put our, our, our big adult pants on? Yeah. This is not going to be a fun episode. No. We were going to do a fun episode. I was so excited, but we'll have <laughs> to do so it. Excited. It was going to be great. Ugh. Okay, well, let's catch people up on what's been going on with us personally before we dig into the, the, the actual heavy stuff. Yeah, that seems good. I've been sick for like two weeks because I have no immune system, and I'm finally and you mostly have no doctor over cold. Help. Yeah, yeah, also no doctor, which I just got assigned to another one. Who, mm-hmm. in theory, has experience with trans patients, but yeah, the doctor situation has been a nightmare all semester, which is great when it's paired with no immune system at the same time. Yeah, yeah. so you have just been resting, and I'm glad you have your voice back. Yes, it's nice. It's nice. Um, as for me, I have just, please congratulate me, I just finished my, my comprehensive exam yesterday for grad school. Yay. So all that means is I have a 15-page paper, a, another 15-page like chapter submission, and uh, I have to bind my thesis. I have to copy edit and bind my thesis. And then, wow. I'm, done with grad, and then I'm done with grad school. That's very exciting. Graduation's on the 26th. I, you know, I, I got to just like take a second here and be – I have had trouble finishing things over the last, um, you know, number of years because of trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, I wasn't able to hold down a job that I really loved in D.C. because, you know, PTSD flare-ups when my ex-husband left me. Mm. I was not able to, like, stick it out in L.A. and, like, look for jobs because I was still in the thick of that um, same PTSD cycle. Peace Corps ended early because I got raped and sent home. (laughs) And um, I, so I just like have been having this feeling of like, I'm not going to be able to finish this because I haven't been able to finish anything because of trauma or like something horrible happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, knock on wood, (laughs) I'm going to finish grad school. I'm going to do it. And I'm really happy with that. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it feels it's such a relief. I was really worried it wouldn't happen. Yeah. Look at you. Yeah. Doing the thing. So, um, and I'm turning 30 on Monday. Wow. Very exciting. Which also is one of those, like, I didn't think I'd make it that far. Yeah. You've known me for pretty much half my life now. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, are you almost done with your semester? I am. I'm like three weeks away. I'm in the final stick of it now. I did Mm -hmm. the speech that I was really nervous about on Wednesday and that was fine. And now I have to do a mock arbitration on the 15th. And that's like my biggest final. Everything else is just like papers and finishing a math test. Sweet, sweet, sweet. So then I'm going to sleep for a week straight and then do things. Good. Yeah, so we have sad news on top of more sad news. Yeah, I I just, 
I'm so mad. I like, like this is just me being super emotional here. So like, don't hold me to this. But like, this is one of those things that makes me go like, yeah, cool. I just have more receipts on the fact that there is no God. Yeah. I like, feel that. I don't necessarily know what I actually believe, but like, that's my emotional reaction right now. Yeah. So like last episode or the episode before we were talking about Rachel Held Evans, who was in the hospital in an induced coma. And today is May 4th, and we found out like an hour ago, maybe. Yeah, we, we started recording late because we found out. Yeah, uh, that she passed early this morning. Early this morning. She, um, I don't think she was even 40 yet. Like, she's she's not that much older than us. Um, she leaves behind a husband and two young kids. She had been really kind of a, a pioneer in terms of people who stayed in the church to challenge the church. Yeah. Um, because she had this, like, this legitimization of, um, you know, a really gentle persona and her, her father being a theology professor and so she had some connections and she had this like ability to cut through a lot of infighting to ask really important questions about like what it means to be a good human and a good Christian. And like if the church was actually, you know, treating humans well. Um, we, fuck, I don't remember when I first discovered her stuff. It was probably around the time when um, Year of the Book of Womanhood came out, which is kind of like yeah. a... a of a book um but basically she was trying to take to show people how absurd it was to um apply things from the bible without cultural context and historical context to a modern day scenario where like you can't expect that these like social norms and rules will have remained the same over the centuries and still be relevant to people today the way they were then which was kind of revolutionary. I remember, like, when her interpretation of Proverbs 31 was not that it was a to-do list, but rather, like, a celebration of, mm-hmm. like, someone who was just a badass. That was a mind-blowing framing for me. Yeah, it was someone who, like, yeah, Proverbs 31 had always been presented to us, like, this really, I don't know, heavy is the word that comes to mind, but it, it was this, like, you can't be a good woman unless you can do all those things. Right. And instead, it's just, like, a celebration of someone who happens to do all those things, and it's not a to-do list. Right. Or, like, something that you have to measure your yourself up against to be valued as a human. She was a really good tool for me because I was able to show my family her blog mm-hmm. and her writing. And she, because she was really, um, she was very careful with her tone. And I'm going to, like, I, res- I resent being tone policed a lot. But she's one of the few people who I, I don't think resented that. Mm-hmm. Um, that need to, like, hit a certain tenor, t- uh, like, timbre to be heard by the church and yeah. to be taken seriously. Um, 
because because I think that was like kind of her her natural like personality. That's not my natural personality, but because it was, it was easier for her to just kind of speak with this real measured kind. I don't know, like traditional theolo- theological focus. And um, and so it legitimized the concerns that so many of us had. Yeah. And because she was able to like hit that tone, people were more willing to listen to her than they would be listen to listen to us. Yeah, Because we'd exactly. be angry. We'd be angry. And we had good reasons to be angry. And she would be sad rather than angry. And people can listen to that a little bit more easily when, you know – when issues of criticism are being raised, it's it's easier to hear, hey, I feel sad because you hurt me mm-hmm. rather than I'm angry because you hurt me. Right. And so when she brought that tone to criticizing the church and criticizing theology and criticizing how women in leadership were treated and how women were, you know, treated in the church at large, people like my parents, when they were still in the cult, we're able to hear what she was saying without just shutting it down and ignoring it because, you know, she's angry. Yeah. They And they listened to it and they were like, okay, I can see this. This makes sense. And so they were able to better support me along my journey as an individual at the beginning. Um, and my in-laws too, like, and other friends. So it was, it made it easier for me to not have to completely ostracize myself or my community immediately as soon as I start questioning things. Yeah, she really helped me, like, on the path to questioning and and realizing that it was okay and, mm-hmm. like, helping me ask questions just in the way that she laid out, like, all these things that I had been feeling but didn't have the words to explain. It was like, oh, yes, that's yeah. the thing. That's what right. I was wondering about. And one of the things that I think really, like, she did for us so well was she was able to really kill the idea of complementarianism. Yes. As, like, because it's a tool for abuse. Like, it it exists as a tool for abuse. It's not a biblical concept. And she really did a lot of the heavy lifting to deconstruct that mm-hmm. to free so many people from the toxic teachings of Desiring God and John Piper and all yep. of those guys um, so that they could start to consider feminism or consider intersectionality and, like, start expanding their social awareness of justice and uh, equality issues in the church. Yeah. She was really instrumental in laying a path out for so many people. So that said, um, we have collected some tributes from from twitter debbie says i'm so mad about this she was such a bright light when i worked in religious online publishing even with the outrage that inevitably followed her posts they were a comfort and an inspiration and were grounding yeah um our colleague cynthia who also grew up in an abusive homeschool business family um if you've heard of the jubes in the blue book like she was her family was the ones who behind that um, she said, reading Evolving in Monkey Town, which was her sec- her first book, I think, which has now been retitled. I forget what the new title is. Um, helps me see some questions that I hadn't really considered before about Christianity and helped me feel safe to question. Becky brought up the point that I referenced, which was a year of biblical womanhood. Made me cry with relief to learn that Proverbs 31 wasn't a to-do list, but was a poetic celebration of a woman of valor. And then uh, Amber... 
just said she made me feel not alone anymore, which I feel also. Mm-hmm. Bree says, Rachel was my first window outside of isolated ignorance. She taught me to ask questions and distrust anyone who claimed absolute authority over what truth is. I owe her so much. Teresa says something I think we all relate to. I think I wouldn't have made it if not for her. I would not have known that there was a way out of fundamentalism. I would have kept stifling my own questions. Yes. Michelle said, her words were a shining light for me at a time when I couldn't find any reason to stay in the faith. Her writing gave me hope that Christianity could be something more than the shit I was raised in, and that hope has kept me going many a day. Yeah, that, I, I do believe I relate to that. As much as, like, I'm not identifying as a Christian or, or in the church anymore, like, that really, that, she kept me in the church a whole lot longer mm-hmm. than I would have stayed. Yeah. Yeah. And I and this guy, Jason, also chimes in with the same sentiment. I'm not sure I'd still be religious if it wasn't for her. Her work was a big part in helping me realize that the evangelicalism I grew up in wasn't the only way to follow Christ. I went to an Episcopal church because I heard RHE had found a home there and thought maybe I could too. And yeah, I did that. I, I did that same tra- tra- trajectory because of her. Yeah. I think that I mean, we were talking about this before we started recording. It's just, it feels really unfair <laughs> No, I'm, no, I mean, it's unfair, but it feels really um, surreal because I always worry about my friends who don't have support and don't have access to resources because I'm, I'm, I'm worried that they're going to be the ones who are going to die. Yeah. Um, and she had a husband and a church and, you know, a publisher and she had health insurance and she had people raising money in a GoFundMe um, for her medical bills like she had access to everything she was flight lifted to two different hospitals like there was nothing that she didn't have available to her and yet she still died yeah and that feels really cruel it really does i'm not a fan of this mortality shit it's been like the theme of this year for me apparently it's just like sitting with that and like dealing with my own mortality Mm-hmm. And like mortality of other people, and it's it's not fun. It's not fun. Yeah, this la- last year was a lot of that for me, where it was like all these moments where relationships were ending for reasons that I had no ability to control, and it felt like um, it felt like deaths. All of them felt like deaths, and and none of them were were really reasonable or understandable, and. And they were all very abrupt and final. And so they it felt like deaths. And I was in a pretty deep depression almost all of last year. Um, and I was thinking about death all the time. I was just not preoccupied with it. But I was, you know, it's such a it's such an abstract concept. It can be whatever yeah. you want it to be. Yeah. And so and so it's it's this thing that it's like an infatuation. You can become enamored of it as a possibility because you have no understanding of what it actually is like because none of us know. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's kind of what it what it gets to. Yeah. It doesn't get better after this. Yeah, guys, sorry. <laughs> sorry for, like, the downer of an episode. Like, I, I do not necessarily encourage or condone day drinking but like today might be one of those days yeah 
just so bad. It's just so fucking bad. Yeah. Okay, All right. So, you, so what? Can you ruins... just give the? Can you can you can you just give the news the news story version of this before we get into the details? Yeah. So, it's really rude because we were gonna talk about fun things and then we like looked at the news and this fucking asshole went and shot some people uh, last Saturday on the last day of Passover. Which is such a fucking, <sighs> like, like beyond the, like, we're going to invade a, a, a faith-centered space on a high holy day and hurt people. That's a very particular brand of mm, yeah. Christian violence on Jews. Yeah, yeah. That's... To take over Passover because you feel entitled to it. And we'll get into that, but, like, sorry, I just said. Yeah, yeah. So, that bullshit happened, and, uh... It happened in San Diego. Um, the, the synagogue is, um, is Poway. I'm, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Um, but the Poway shooter, Poway shooter, um, is how we're gonna refer to him, because we don't want to, you know, give this guy the attention he wanted. Mm-hmm. By naming him. Yeah. Uh, he was 19. He was 19. He was homeschooled, which is why we're diving into this right now. Yeah. So he wasn't homeschooled currently, right, when he left. Right, no. He but was homeschooled he, before high school. He was homeschooled before high school, and his church his church has ties with, with this particular strain of theology that we've talked about a whole lot, um, Auburn Avenue or New Federalist Theology. Um, he was a member, his father was an elder at, and he was a member at an OPC church, which is an Orthodox Presbyterian church, which is like, the mainstream Presbyterians are too liberal, and they like the gays, and they like women, and they like black people, so we're gonna separate off and be more conservative. Right. Because racism is next to godliness, as we all know. I mean, it's God's fault he started it, right? Because, you know, curse of him and all that shit. Right. In case you haven't educated yourself about that particularly delightful piece of racism, um, go Google that because the the curse of ham is this piece of it's, it's, it's racist mythology. It's so racist. Um, and it basically is this justification for race-based chattel slavery that um, where it's like God wants you to enslave black people yeah. because um, Noah cursed his son Ham, and they're the descendants of Ham. Right. So it's, this is this is how Christians justify slavery. It's and fucking have justified cuckoo. slavery for ever. It's it's so far out there. It's so far out from any kind of reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's what he grew up with, uh, believing like that kind of absurdity is fine. Right. God totally did mean for white people to enslave everyone else because white people are... It doesn't even make sense because, like, God's people are the Jews. Okay, but here's they're... that. Here's the, This is why New Federalist theology is relevant here. So New Federalist theology, like, is this idea of the church under the New Covenant replaces 
God's former chosen people, the Jews. So Christians are now God's chosen people. And Christians are responsible for, you know, carrying out his will in the world. And, and you know, anytime you want, like, I'm still, because I grew up so immersed in this world, um, and I talked about this a, a bunch on episode, what was it, when I changed my name, or announced my name change. Um, was that eight? It was really early. It was early. Eight or, it was 18 or eight, something like that. Um, ended it in eight. Anyway, um, <laughs> I am great at numbers. Uh, <laughs> so the, some of the dog whistles for anti-Semitism are things that I really struggle to identify because I, I grew up so immersed in it. I'm not super aware of them, and I'm working to improve that. And every single time I uncover a new piece of this, this mindset or this rhetoric um, and come to understand its origins, it kind of like basically all comes down to anytime that pieces of Jewish tradition or Judaism are appropriated without Jews. <laughs> yeah. It's inherently anti-Semitic because it believes that Jews aren't necessary. So it's this kind of like cool extermination, which is again, that kind of language, like rather than yeah. genocide, extermination. Right. Um, because that lowers them down to well, a so humanizes level. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything like that is, is inherently anti-Semitic. So, when you hear the alt-right chants, mm -hmm. they will not replace us, they are saying that because that is what white Christians have done yep. for centuries to Jews and brown people. And so they know what will happen if those group, people groups rose up against them. Um, so it's this kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what the term is, but it's it's flipping the narrative mm -hmm. um, and it's predicting something because they've done it before, because they've done it to other people. Yeah. And they know they deserve it. Um, and they're so, terrified and that feeds um, their persecution complex. Right. So for in a, a concrete example, when you see a church doing a Passover Seder, that's anti-Semitic. Because and so many do it because they believe that they don't need a Jew or a rabbi or like any understanding of mm -hmm. Judaism to appropriate this celebration because, well, it's in the Bible, so like obviously it belongs to them. Yeah. No, that's anti-Semitic. Then um, when you have um, Messianic Jews, it's again anti-Semitic. And when Mike Pence pulled out a messianic rabbi oh my god or the tree of life sh synagogue shooting um which happened six months to the day before this one yep um that was his way of signaling that he thought the jews were replaceable that a real rabbi would be replaceable with a messianic rabbi so again just putting yeah. taking the tradition and giving it to a christian so yeah yeah it's gross it's, it's so uh, gross yeah that's when you get to this, like, covenant stuff. So, like, Presbyterians are very preoccupied with covenant theology, um, which is kind of this idea of, like, you can't be unsaved or you can't lose your salvation because God has made a covenant with you mm -hmm. um, and you don't deserve it and you can't initiate it. So God paid the blood price for both sides. It's like So it takes substitutionary atonement. It takes... Um, 
you know, capital punishment for your sins. It takes all of these things and it puts them in this package of like, you can't do anything wrong because it's already been paid for. Right. Um, and then you put that in this mindset of, and Christians are the new chosen people. So Jews are not because they didn't keep the covenant. Right. And so God replaced them with Christians. Um, and then you get this whole thing where, like, the kingdom of heaven is promised to Christians, but won't get initiated unless Christians, like, reinstate uh, a cultural adherence to the, the current laws of the covenant. Right. And so there's some, there's some conflagration of Old Testament laws and New Testament um, commands. And so when you get Auburn Avenue theology, it gets this really kind of twisted thing where they basically believe in an eschatology that... Christ won't return unless Old Testament laws are upheld right. in civil society in the United States because we're the chosen, the new chosen nation. Yes. Obviously, God was definitely talking about America in the Bible. Oh, yeah. So, you know, stoning of rebellious sons, uh, you know, slavery to pay off your debts, all these things. Totally biblical, totally normal. Yeah, totally what we should be going back to because that's the only way that Jesus will return. And totally why we have to have all of the children and have our children enact a theocratic takeover of the nation so this right. can happen. Right, and that's part, part of why it's called federal vision because it's like this vision for like federal United States. Yeah. Um. Now, I will say, like, thankfully, Auburn Avenue theology and federalist theology is fairly... It's a very narrow group of people who yeah. um, ascribe to that theology. And the rest of the Presbyterian culture is kind of like, ooh, we're going to take a step back from that. That's a little dangerous. Now, the thing is... <laughs> That's about as far as it goes. Right, but they don't necessarily disagree with it or condemn it because they're trying to be so nice. Right. So um, when this started coming out, I believe it was in 2006... Um, the federal vision people were con not condemned, but like they were the OPC, which is the denomination that this shooter grew up in, um, held a convention to discuss federal vision theology and see if it was in their view valid or, or if they should condemn it or if they should adopt it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And in the report, which we'll link to in the show notes, the committee does not condemn the, all the views of those mentioned therein, but it does agree that aberrant views on justification have been promulgated from within these circles. Therefore, <laughs> the committee has sought to reaffirm the church's commitment to the teaching of scripture and the Westminster standards on justification and to identify and critique contemporary claims to the contrary from those holding these aberrant views. Now, this report also addresses this other um, theological development called New Perspective on Paul, which was a little bit more of a, a liberal mm -hmm. um, Presbyterian theology bit, which I'm, I'm not going to get into there too too much because that New Perspective on Paul is a whole fucking can of worms. But it makes so many Presbyterians angry all the time. It's yep. really funny. You, you will like want to get in a fight with a drunk Presbyterian and then have him not shut up. Be like, <laughs> so what's your opinion on the New Perspective on Paul? Um, <laughs> gosh, Fun at so parties. Fun, fun at parties <laughs> so i am so fun at parties um, but um so the, it's really interesting to me that the opc in this report can like 
they convened to discuss these two pieces of theology that were coming out of like the two kind of wings of their mm-hmm. their denomination and and they refused to condemn either and I think there's a huge difference between New Perspective on Paul, which is kind of like, hey, maybe, like, um, the Old Covenant was, like, not as legalistic as you think it was. And the other and one then that this, is, like, actually Nazis? Actually, like, let's, let's stone rebellious children. <laughs> like, I cannot imagine being part of that committee and, like, agreeing to not condemn that. But, I mean, they would never let me in that committee anyway because, right, yeah. you know, yeah, I have a badge. So so many other other reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they're equivocating. They're like comparing these two as if they're these are similar. The same. And these they're just like, the yeah, we're gonna distance ourselves from both these things. Yeah. We don't condemn them. That doesn't mean you're not saved if you believe this, but it's a little different. It's aberrant. It's like we couldn't we couldn't we couldn't say that Nazism is bad, just like we couldn't say that like the opposite of Nazism is bad. They're the same. That's... I mean, it's, it's kind of, it sounds like m- most, like, open-minded individuals' reaction to, like, anal sex, where it's like, not my thing, but, like, have fun. Right. <laughs> like, seriously? Seriously, meanwhile, guys? That's your reaction? <laughs> this theology is literally killing people. Right. Like, fuck. <sighs> Okay, so how was okay? We we've read his manifesto, um, which has been thankfully pulled down from the internet. Yes, and we're not going to quote from it too much, but the Poe shooter said some things that were some real clear um, indicators of where he was coming from. Mm-hmm. I mean, beyond his whole like you know use of of really common uh, alt right memes, which are like a way that they. They signal to each other yep. because a, a lot of people will miss them. Things like um, cultural Marxism, know, PewDiePie, and Peppy the Frog. Like those yeah. things are, are cues that this person is is neo Nazi. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cultural Marxism is a thing. Um, there's a whole lot of other little cues in here that suggests to us that this kid was radicalized by the internet from a a foundational ideological base that was pretty similar to ours. Yeah. Um, so, like, if we had been 15 or 16 and had just gotten onto the internet, and instead of finding people like Rachel Held Evans, <laughs> which, you know, she came later, but, like, instead of finding someone like Rachel Held Evans, we had been shunted into 8chan. Yeah. We yeah. could have been this radical. Yeah. It Like... I mean, honestly, a lot of, like, what he read was was only, like, a couple steps away from where I was when I was a teenager. Right. And so what he says in his manifesto is basically, like, my family, my church, they didn't teach me this stuff. They didn't radicalize me. Which is fine, but I think he's wrong because I think that he they... He was groomed for it. They might not have said this out loud, but the entire base of what they believed is mm-hmm. rooted in white supremacy that just fueled this and is why he didn't question it when he ran into it. Right. I mean, it's, so, yeah, when he ran into these ideas, he was basically primed to believe these things already. Yeah. And so they just gave him, like, the next steps. So They just added he, fuel to his fire. 
Right. And so when he talks about in his, like, the end of his manifesto, he gives, like, detailed instructions on how to repeat things that he did. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the kind of shit that he probably ran into that was, like, cool. Like, I'm going to I'm gonna act on this. Um, but the ideology was, I mean, I could, like, like thankfully, none of my, my brothers are in the cult anymore. Mm-hmm. None of my brothers believe these things anymore. But, like, there are kids from my homeschool community in Richmond who I do know who believe these things and who I am like, you know, I'll talk to their their older siblings who are out and like liberal and we'll be like, yeah, we wonder when that kid's going to end up on the news because, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's like we talked with um, Jeremiah when he was our guest on the podcast a while back and he was like, yeah, like the Austin bomber was a homeschool kid yep. who was part of his homeschool group like he like he didn't know him directly but it was the same community that he was in for a little while yeah yeah no like honestly there is a whole database of homeschoolers who have done things like this and this is just one more to add to that list because it's like and it and everyone's like oh they were so shy and quiet and alone and this is so odd and out of character but like Mm-mm. he they're primed for this by the religion their family believes like well and the isolation like the isolation them, stacks the isolation keeps them from being open-minded and from like it allows you to dehumanize your intellectual opponents yeah it um, does so that you don't take them seriously. I mean, this is what we've talked about in terms of, like, inoculation theory for worldview teaching. Yep. Where, like, you'll get sent to worldview camps, and you'll get taught, like, this is what Buddhism believes. This is what Muslims believe. Yeah, this is I went why. to one of those. And it's, none of those are accurate representations. No. They're, they're incredibly simplified straw man versions in that designed to make you, as a, like, young Christian kid... Be afraid and resentful of those groups. Yep. Yeah, um, I remember actually, like, I blocked this out. Uh, Team Pact had a worldview camp for a very mm-hmm. short period of time, and I went to it, and they had just these very kind of, like, extreme caricatures of other religions and what they believed, and we had to, like, argue against it and be more convincing or whatever, and they took us out to Athens or something to, like, evangelize on the street, and uh, (laughs) that was... That was wild, and it was like, we felt like we were doing some radical things, saving all these atheists and stuff (laughs) from themselves. Okay, well that, like, brings us to our our first clue, the first thing in that manifesto that tipped me off where this guy was coming from. Um, where he says, there are three roles that must be played in this revolution. Those who spread the truth, those who defend the race, and those who continue the race having children. Yep. And, And that's in parentheses. So... You were doing that first one. Yep. He considers himself doing that second one. And yep. our parents and their baby-making habits were doing definitely the third. Definitely the third. Yeah. Uh, definitely the third. So he's he's a, he's immersed in in um, quiverful theology and it's, in its most extreme. I don't know that, like, the whole, like, having as many babies as possible thing was on his radar. But, like, the whole, like... That's your children, point. Children, children are a cultural tool. Yep. Which is exactly what our parents believed. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way that you're going to get the kingdom of God in the end, really. Yeah. 
Okay, so you want to give the second the second clue here that we were talking about? Cultural Marxism is a dog whistle. Yeah. Is something that we, you mentioned earlier. You want to unpack that? Yeah, so uh, cultural Marxism is... It's a dog whistle. It's a really, like... It's, it's sort of the same thing they do with religions, but for communism and socialism and and they frame cultural marxism as as like a threat just like communism and it, it's it's bad and evil and uh this is something that really kind of uh took off a lot on 4chan and stuff it started becoming more uh mainstream ish and it's used during Gamergate. That's something that a lot of people saw. Um, Can you um, unpack what Gamergate is and why this is relevant to this? Because yeah. I think Gamergate is fundamental to understanding what's going on today. In terms Gamergate of is like where I feel like so much of this sort of started to build. And yeah. it was this thing that happened on the internet in like 2014, 2015. And started with some asshole internet dudes being really terrible to this woman on the internet it started this whole kind of chaos where it was a targeted harassment campaign against uh what they labeled sjw's or social justice warriors which is basically anyone who was liberal and marginalized on the internet and which anyone who's like discussing discussing the like you know the trickle down um, ramifications of Marxism on current society. Right. Or even even talking about, like, feminism and, and, like, just normal, basic critiquing of, like, toxic masculinity in American culture. Like, these gamer gators felt like they were being attacked for being, you know, the white dudes who live in the basement of their parents' place. They're like, well, that's, like... It's fine if we do this and don't have contact with human beings, and we know so much more than you because you're criticizing. And they felt very entitled to literally everything. And and this is when we kind of learned that these places like 4chan and then 8chan existed, and it was just like these cesspools of toxic well, violence. 8chan got started after this because yes, during Gamergate, all these people got kicked off of 4chan. And so and started they, 8chan. Wait, can I can I make my joke? Sorry. They doubled down and made 8chan. Ha. But yeah, no, that's where it started. It was like it was like yeah. it was from Gamergate. And that's where so that's where you have a lot of the organizing for neo-Nazi activism yeah. showing up. Yep. Is on 8chan. And if you want to like do uh, you know, be following someone who's um researching this and, and talking about this. Um, our good friend Robert Evans at Behind the Bastards, um, he was going to try to join us on the show to date for this, but um, he's in the middle of a big life event, so he can't make it. Um, but he his podcast, Behind the Bastards, and it could happen here, do some really good deep dive work into, um, into this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I was pretty... I've never been part of uh, Reddit, let alone 4chan, or any of 
that bullshit Reddit on the internet. Reddit is so benign now. Well, because, like, when Reddit started, like, it was all these people, and then they've just, like, kept subdividing. So they, they went to 4chan, and then they went to 8chan, and now they're on dark web forums um, and Discord, but, like, yeah. still on 8chan some. Yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> but, like, everything that we we find out about like what these people say and what these people believe are very similar to the things that I grew up hearing and was primed for yeah with like the version of christianity that my parents were involved in so a lot of this is stemming from kind of the same roots even if well, it's people on the internet i mean like i was saying before we got going on this i think like what it comes down to is like you give these people an entitlement theology where they are god's chosen people and the world is going to belong to them when god ends everyone else Mm -hmm. and then you give them a um a distrust of the system because you know we have to re-embed it in the image of god yep and 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 the liberals will like take you away so right right and then you and then right and so you do these like c.s lewis in his book um God, which is the one, Screwtape Letters. In Screwtape Letters, which is this book that C.S. Lewis wrote where it's like parodying how um, a demon manager is talking to his sub-demon who is, who is trying to um, get this super normie British dude into hell. Um, and the the manager demon says to the, the sub-demon that make sure you always mix your your lies with a little bit of truth because then they're easy they go yeah. down easier yeah and that's kind of where that's kind of how these things work whereas like you you isolate these folks from actual um experiences of reality interacting with other people from different cultures and different backgrounds and different classes and different you know all of these things you 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 segregate the genders you keep all other people who are not like you Mm-hmm. as abstractions and then you tell them things about those other people that have like a tiny little bit of grain of truth in terms of like how how differences work mm-hmm. but then you you color it with conspiracy theories about you know how they're out to get you and and it's a, it's an instant recipe for radicalization yep yep dehumanization just, and radicalization just being groomed for it and primed for it and then you yeah. run into it and it fits within everything you've already been conditioned to believe. Right. And you don't examine it critically because you you believe that this authority is coming from God. Yeah. Like, I remember that things really started to change for me when I got my first job in Maine. And my coworker was from Turkey and she mm. was Muslim and we just culture swapped and I learned so much about her and mm. about what she believed and about Turkey and about like other places of the world that I had never been to because I was finally talking with someone who had lived experience that was different than mine. Right. But yeah. up until that point, I just had like all these caricatures about whatever that I had never confronted. Mm hmm. It's easy. It's easy to to dehumanize things if you've never touched them or seen them. Yeah, and this is why when you like, obviously, this is not always the case, unfortunately. But many times, people who don't know that they have a gay friend mm-hmm. will often be pretty homophobic 
until they learn that someone that they've already loved and cared about all along yeah. is gay. Yep. And and then oftentimes you, you watch them have a shift. Yeah. Um, and become affirming and become supportive because it's the, the human having the experience of understanding the human really, really helps diffuse that fear of the unknown. Yeah. It wasn't until like a couple of my friends came out that I realized that one also wasn't straight and two I could also come out and also that like like that's what started me on that journey and figuring things out it was other people coming out and being like oh wait I know you though and you're not any of what I was told and oh wait now suddenly I make sense right the next clue that we had that this guy (laughs) came from our same theological background Mm -hmm. is how he talks about Debt, which is like, first of all, like that's your, yeah. your that's your most glaringly obvious, you know, typical anti-Semitic mm-hmm. moment. Um, you know, you we're all we've all read Merchant of Venice, or at least are familiar with the story. We know how like when people use words like usury or whatever, um, they're referring to like this theory that that Jews take advantage of Christians because they hold all the money and they are out, you know, they're miserly, they're out for their own benefit. So all these like stereotypes are, they're racist stereotypes. I mean, it's kind of like saying like black people are lazy. Like it's the exact same bullshit. Um, It's promoted throughout the book Ivanhoe. It's old. It's you know, when you look at, like, the Inquisition in Spain, yep. it's the same kind of language. It's, it just goes back forever and ever and ever. Um, and and ultimately, when all of those situations come down to it and these people are called out on their racism, they kind of, as they double down on their Christianity in a really weird way. And they always say, well, the Jews are the ones who are responsible for killing Jesus. So this yeah. is justified. What the fuck? Which is like... Yeah, actually, it was the Romans. Right. But like, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> like, no, 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 definitely not. But so the the anti-Semitism, like, gets this, like, weird cultural pass in Christianity in a lot of these ways because of that. Right. Um, And I think it, what one of the things that's really interesting about this manifesto and i'm so sorry i those words came out of my mouth um is that he he talks about kind of bootstraps mentality american dream stuff Mm -hmm. and then he talks about debt-based currency that jews like to pretend is money and i think that's that's another really big tell for me yeah um because we've talked about a little bit. I don't know how extensively. I don't think we've done a full episode on it. But like how debt is talked about in our you know, former culture. Yeah. What what did you grow up understanding about debt? Uh that it was evil and that it meant like the devil was able to have some power over you. Like basically everything that Dave Ramsey said was gold. So my dad did this whole thing where he I mean, I, I'm sure I've mentioned this story before, but he tried to break me and my ex-husband up when we 
weren't even courting yet. Um, we weren't right. even date- we weren't even a couple. But he tried to break us up because my ex husband had student loans, which is so funny. Too. It's like, <laughs> like yeah, like okay, cool, yeah. Student loans are a bad idea and a plague on society, but they're not a moral character flaw. This is a symptom yeah. of late stage capitalism. This is not a symptom of this person being dumb. Right. And that's how it was treated. And it was treated that way because in my father's mind, mortgages and loans on cars were okay because there was something that was collateral that you could, that a bank could recoup. Um, uh. Which is actually kind of based in like the, the, the ancient Israelite system of, of lending that was established where it was like, well, if you, um, if you don't, if you default on your debt, then I'm going to take your children into slavery until they pay off your debt. Right. So he kind of saw that as like this is like the modern day equivalent of that, and so that's okay because that existed in the Bible. And since slavery is not allowed, and I can't sell my children off into slavery, <laughs> um, you know, taking out a mortgage is fine. But he, wow. we had this. Yeah, no, it was very convoluted, and he explained this all to me when. We had this this family friend who was actually an OPC guy. Um, Fascinating. I about that. Yeah, no, no, I'm having like a brain moment. I it was an OPC guy from California who just moved to the Richmond, Virginia area. Oh my god, his kids. He taught like a volleyball clinic to homeschoolers, um, and was a construction worker. And he was going to do a remodel on our house because we were expanding um, right before the twins were born. And this guy and my father were, like, going to sign um, – we're going to, like, sign a, a contract, or at least my father thought they were. And uh-huh. this man wouldn't sign a contract with my dad because he's like, well, this is unbiblical. Um, because you can't – you know, we, we can't have um, mediation between us it, like, because we're Christians. And – that's, you know, that's against the Bible. And and I think there's also something, too, where he was uncomfortable that my dad was taking out a, a loan from the bank for part of that wow. remodel. And so it was, like, this, like, real weird, intense thing. But debt is, like, seen as, a, like, a, a lean on your soul, basically. Right. Yeah. That's how, and that's what you were talking about in terms of, like, yep. it, it makes you vulnerable to the devil. Yes, exactly. It can Because if there's no somehow. collateral... Then it's on your name and on your soul. Right. Because that is a sensical thing. And I never connected this this theology to anti-Semitism directly. And I don't think that most people in our, our, our you know, culture of origin would describe, would connect those things. Yeah, it was never connected for me uh, until, like, now when I started thinking about it. Right. But, like, if you think about it, when you have this, like, if you believe the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about the state of money in the world being controlled by the Jews, then you tie that with this particular theology. It's like like the, the grid has been put in place. And adding anti-Semitism, like, over anti-Semitism to the mix just lights it up. Yes. Yeah. It just completes the circuit. Yeah. And so, you know, like, all of these theological bases were already in place for this kid. And then he went into 
you know, 8chan and ran into the anti-Semitism and it was like the, oh, the circuit yep. lit up. Yep. It was like, oh yes, these things that totally fit within everything else. Right. Um, and so that, when I looked through the manifesto, like, there's, a, there's so many different um, references to debt and Jews perpetuating debt and debt as bad. And yep. And and I and debt being you know a way that you can control nations, and it's all kind of true, on some level. Like debt is a very significant part of the economy. Um, we all saw what happened to Greece in the financial crisis. Yeah. Like you know, it can ha- owing for like a underdeveloped country owing major debts um, can really cripple growth. But that doesn't mean that, like the Jews are behind that. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's significant. It's a something. I mean, yeah, student loans can really destroy your ability to like invest in your future. But that doesn't mean that <laughs> the loans themselves are the problem. Exactly. Like that's just look beyond it. Look at the capitalism. Come on. Yeah. yeah it is not that hard. It's such a, it's such a, like, it's such a direct line. Yeah. For me, in my mind. Yeah. So then there's this interesting article that, pull it up here, um, that we found Christianity Today. It had an OPC, I guess he's a pastor, um, respond to this. It's a guy named Carl Truman, who actually, um... (laughs) Yeah, he's an ordained minister in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. That's what I remembered. What I forgot is he's also a professor at my alma mater at the undergrad. So great. Oh, my God. Uh, So he does this equivocation thing that we were talking about before. Right. Basically, he's saying, like, all death is bad. And, like, pastors need to be careful about, like, theology. And, again, it's like that kind of, like, going back to the, like, theology of justification is probably the problem, you know. Right. Um, says, in the case of the OPC, a denomination of around 30,000 people, a single killer is one too many, but hardly a sign of widespread widespread anti-Semitic radicalization among our youth. That is uh, a mistake. Wow. Buddy. So he's wow. trying to answer the question, what can we do to try to stop things from happening in the future? And he's basically like, whoops, we can't. It's not our fault. Oh, my God. Um. It's and he's 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 basically doing a call to play whack a mole. So like yeah, you know, not not looking any further than like the effects and reacting to them. Yep. You know, I don't know this lead shooter. I do not know what led him to commit such a crime. I suspect that the anger that sadly characterizes so much of contemporary public discourse, in which too many of us Christians right and left indulge, did not help. So he's he's basically saying like stop being angry. That's, right. That's yeah. That's it. Which is. <sighs> Like, a, like, accurate understandings of society and, and failures of justice in our system would be a better way to counter that. Because this kid, like, mm-hmm. this kid had a closed system of logic that he was working with. Yeah. He didn't actually understand how the larger world worked. Nope. He only understood these, like, straw man fallacies about how the world worked. And yeah. so based on that, it was a very logical decision. Like, if everything he believed was true, mm-hmm. he was being logical. But... Everything that he believed is not true. Exactly. And so, like, I always go back to Chesterton's Madman's Box. Like, the 
you put all the pieces in this box and they all tick. It's like a watch. Yeah. They all move yeah. with each other. But you're removing super, super important essential things about the universe that are true that would disable your entire circuit yep. if you included them. And so you don't include them. So your circuit keeps working. But they are real. You can't ignore them. They ha- you have yeah. to include them. Yeah. You have to be open-ended. So this is a super depressing, intense episode. And I know a lot of this stuff is, if you're first just now coming to this show, like you're probably kind of lost. So we'll put some, some links um, in the show notes to other episodes you should listen to that give you more context on some of the stuff that we've been talking about for months and months now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Karen, you want to ask our listeners to um, support us? How can they help? Uh, well, we have a Patreon. Um, you can support us on Patreon, which is Kitchen Table Cult Pod. Uh, and you should share this with your friends and family and anyone who needs to know. Have all these pieces put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you, if you are on... Um, you know, good terms in in the Christian community, and you want to send this to a a pastor. If you if your church adheres to any sort of Calvinist theology, I think this is really important to understand. Whoops, how all of these things are connected. Um, so do send this out to um, a pastor and and be like, hey, look, this is how we can prevent this from happening. This is how we can be aware of, you know, what these teachings can do to someone and how dangerous they are. Um, if you want to look for signs of radicalization, like what to look for, like I feel like this episode might help illuminate a lot of those things. So do share this. Yeah. And if you are religious and just starting to question these things, continue questioning because all of this leads somewhere if it's not questioned and where, where it leads to is not good. And it's just, I feel like a lot, like there's no good way to resolve this besides educating people and not isolating people and Mm -hmm. allowing people to ask questions. Because what happens when you shut down question asking is you get shit like this. So it's important to ask questions. Thank you, Rachel Held Evans, for helping us ask questions. Yeah. So thank you for listening. You can support us um, at our Patreon. This work takes fucking labor. <laughs> really we does. are we are products of this system who are actively fighting against the system with everything that we have. Um, that's why we're both still alive today and haven't given up is because we know that we got out so other people like us can get out too. So please support our efforts. Um, this is an act of resistance in and of itself. Yeah. You can find all of the information on our website, kitchentablecult.com. Send us questions if you have them. Hopefully next week we will have a fun episode like we were initially planning. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the the music you hear on this episode is from the band The Heavens from their album Stenazzo. Thanks so much, Jan Daniel, for your support. Go subscribe, like, rate, review, share on wherever you're listening. Um, everything helps. Everything helps. Bye. Bye.